0: Book Two, Chapter Four, Part Two of Lord of the World. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Lord of the World by Robert Hugh Benson. Book Two, Chapter Four, Part Two. Mabel, seated in the gallery that evening behind the President's chair, had already glanced at her watch half a dozen times in the last hour, hoping each time that twenty-one o'clock was nearer than she feared. She knew well enough by now that the President of Europe would not be half a minute either before or after his time. His supreme punctuality was famous all over the continent. He had said twenty-one, so it was to be twenty-one. A sharp bell note impinged from beneath, and in a moment the drawling voice of the speaker stopped. Once more she lifted her wrist, saw that it wanted five minutes of the hour. Then she leaned forward from her corner and stared down into the house. A great change had passed over it at the metallic noise. All down the long brown seats, members were shifting and arranging themselves more decorously, uncrossing their legs, slipping their hats beneath the leather fringes. As she looked, too, she saw the president of the house coming down the three steps from his chair, for another would need it in a few moments." The house was full from end to end. A latecomer ran in from the twilight of the south door and looked distractedly about him in the full light before he saw his vacant place. The galleries at the lower end were occupied, too, down there, where she had failed to obtain a seat. Yet from all the crowded interior there was no sound but a sibilant whispering. From the passages behind she could hear again the quick bell-note repeat itself as the lobbies were cleared and from Parliament Square outside once more came the heavy murmur of the crowd that had been inaudible for the last twenty minutes. When that ceased, she would know that he was come. How strange and wonderful it was to be here, on this night of all, when the President was to speak. A month ago he had assented to a similar bill in Germany, and had delivered a speech on the same subject at Turin. Tomorrow he was to be in Spain. No one knew where he had been during the past week. A rumor had spread that his velour had been seen passing over Lake Como and had been instantly contradicted. No one knew either what he would say to-night. It might be three words or twenty thousand. There were a few clauses in the bill, notably those bearing on the point as to when the new worship was to be made compulsory on all subjects over the age of seven. It might be he would object and veto these. In that case all must be done again, and the bill passed until the House accepted his amendment instantly by acclamation. Mabel herself was inclined to these clauses. They provided that, although worship was to be offered in every parish church of England on the ensuing first day of October, this was not to be compulsory on all subjects till the new year, whereas Germany, who had passed the bill only a month before, had caused it to come into full force immediately, thus compelling all her Catholic subjects either to leave the country without delay or suffer the penalties. These penalties were not vindictive. On a first offense, a week's detention only was to be given on the second, one month's imprisonment, on the third, one year's, and on the fourth, perpetual imprisonment until the criminal yielded. These were merciful terms, it seemed, for even imprisonment itself meant no more than reasonable confinement and employment on government works. There were no medieval horrors here, and the act of worship demanded was so little, too. It consisted of no more than bodily presence in the church or cathedral on the four new festivals of maternity, life, sustenance, and paternity, celebrated on the first day of each quarter. Sunday worship was to be purely voluntary. She could not understand how any man could refuse this homage. These four things were facts. They were the manifestations of what she called the spirit of the world, and if others called that power God, yet surely these ought to be considered as His functions. Where, then, was the difficulty? It was not as if Christian worship were not permitted under the usual regulations. Catholics could still go to Mass and yet appalling things were threatened in germany not less than twelve thousand persons had already left for rome and it was rumoured that forty thousand would refuse the simple act of homage a few days hence it bewildered and angered her to think of it for herself the new worship was a crowning sign of the triumph of humanity her heart had yearned for some such thing as this some public corporate profession of what all now believed she had so resented the dullness of folk who were content with action and never considered its springs. Surely this instinct within her was a true one. She desired to stand with her fellows in some solemn place, consecrated not by priests but by the will of man, to have as her inspirers sweet singing in the peal of organs, to utter her sorrow with thousands beside her at her own feebleness of immolation before the spirit of all, to sing aloud her praise of the glory of life, and to offer by sacrifice and incense an emblematic homage TO THAT FROM WHICH SHE DREW HER BEING, AND TO WHOM ONE DAY SHE MUST RENDER IT AGAIN. Ah, THESE CHRISTIANS HAD UNDERSTOOD HUMAN NATURE, SHE HAD TOLD HERSELF A HUNDRED TIMES. IT WAS TRUE THAT THEY HAD DEGRADED IT, DARKENED LIGHT, POISONED THOUGHT, MISINTERPRETED INSTINCT, BUT THEY HAD UNDERSTOOD THAT MAN MUST WORSHIP, MUST WORSHIP OR SINK. FOR HERSELF SHE INTENDED TO GO AT LEAST ONCE A WEEK TO THE LITTLE OLD CHURCH HALF A MILE AWAY FROM HER HOME to kneel there before the sunlit sanctuary, to meditate on sweet mysteries, to present herself to that which she was yearning to love, and to drink, it might be, new drafts of life and power. Ah, but the bill must pass first. She clenched her hands on the rail, and stared steadily before her on the ranks of heads, the open gangways, the great mace on the table, and heard, above the murmur of the crowd outside and the dying whispers within, her own heart beat. She could not see him, she knew. He would come in from beneath, through the door that none but he might use, straight into the seat beneath the canopy. But she would hear his voice. That must be joy enough for her. Ah, there was silence now outside. The soft roar had died. He had come then. And through swimming eyes she saw the long ridges of heads rise beneath her, and through drumming ears heard the murmur of many feet. All faces looked this way, and she watched them as a mirror to see the reflected light of his presence. There was a gentle sobbing somewhere in the air. Was it her own or another's? The click of a door, a great mellow booming overhead, shock after shock as the huge tenor bells tolled their three strokes. And in an instant, over the white faces passed, a ripple, as if some breeze of passion shook the souls within. There was a swaying here and there. And a passionless voice spoke half a dozen words in Esperanto out of sight. Englishman, I assent to the bill of worship. End of book two chapter four Part two Recording by Justin S. Barrett online at JustinBvocal dot com